Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Amar Samra is very intelligent and he would never do it over a phone call. He knows that if he called me and said to me, yo, Omar, do you want to row across the Atlantic? I'd hang up in his face. He knows that would happen, right? So he was much smarter than that. He was much more devious than that. I just said I'll swing by his office and uh, have a cup of coffee or like have a chat because there was something I wanted to talk to him about, but I I wasn't willing to tell him what it was on the phone. I'm like, absolutely, man, come on, by, Come to the office, let's hang out, let's, you know, completely with my guards down. And then when I welcomed him with open arms in my office, in my humble abode, I let him in. I let the fox into the hen house. We were almost at a, you know, like sitting in the same way that you would sit at a dinner table, sitting like next to each other. And he's like, look, what do you think about rowing across the Atlantic with me? I'm like, come again? He's like, rowing across the Atlantic. It's a race that happens once a year. It's unsupported. It's 3,000 nautical miles. And fewer people have done this than people who have gone to space. And uh, I told him my motivations for it, that I've done a lot of stuff, terrestrial stuff, like you know, climbing mountains, going to the polar regions, doing that. And while there are a lot of other mountains and a lot of big goals in that front to pursue that would stretch me, I miss the feeling of embarking on something where I feel like a complete novice. And I'm like, this could be cool. Well, I mean, how do we do this? Within two hours of chatting, we send back a filled out application and we're like, great guys, we're ready. And they're like, whoa, what are you talking about? And we're like, yeah, 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 we're good. They're like, uh, it takes most teams years to make a decision of that magnitude. Are you guys certain that you know what you're doing? And we're like, no, we don't know anything. But we'll learn. When I listened to the story of how Amr Samra asked Amr Noor to row across the Atlantic, 
I was taken back to my middle school days, when my friends and I would play truth or dare. But for the Omars, this wasn't some playful dare. It was a serious one that they would take on together. And to succeed, they had to build a strong partnership and the trust needed to survive. Today on State of Mind, we break down the science behind partnerships. How do people with very different personality traits interact with each other? And why do we seek human connection when things don't go our way? I'm Lubna Munib, and from Kerning Cultures Network, this is State of Mind, a deeper dive into the chilling true story of survival documented in the film Beyond the Raging Sea. Episode 5. Daring Together. Producer Ahmad Ashour begins with a game. Describe the other Omar in three words. Three words? Yeah. Volcanic. Real. Intense. Kind. Quiet. Loud. What? <laughs> it's early 2010s. I think it's like, I don't know, either 2011 or 2013. And a common friend of ours basically was like, hey, you have a fro and he has a fro, right? And you guys do ridiculous things, things that the average person just considers ridiculous. You guys should meet. And... um We met in uh, in Dubai, and it was immediately as if we knew each other for a very, very long time. I think what I saw initially was a lot of flair and a lot of, like, extroversion and a lot of, like, you know, this larger-than-life personality. And typically, when you meet people like that, you will often wonder, is there any substance beyond this? But I could see beyond that a little bit to parts of Omar's character that he only reveals to people that are very close to him. So even though I wasn't at that degree of closeness, I could see that behind all of this, there was also a person who was who would do anything for his friends, somebody who was very kind, uh, someone who was very generous. I think we respected each other's craft. We respected each other's accomplishments, which is really nice, right, to, to have... Uh, Two people that have chosen an uncommon lifestyle get together and sort of bond over their lack of commonality, I guess you would call it, right? Is that a word? I believe it's a word. I just made it. I have a post, actually, that I put on Instagram that day. And uh, I wrote something saying, finally meet the infamous Omar Noor. And something, but I either put hashtag Team O2 or hashtag O2 or something like that. And so when we when we decided to do this and we were looking for what we would call our team, because each boat team has to have a name, I went back to that original post and saw that I'd actually written that. And it was actually in our sponsorship proposal in the first slide, that photo, and then the, the genesis of, of the name. But it wasn't then clear to me that, you know, this person that I meet every now and then when I, when I go to Dubai would be the, uh, a person that would become like a brother of mine. When the Omars described each other as quiet and loud, I wasn't very surprised. <laughs> as you just heard, from the moment they met almost a decade ago, the Omars knew that they were very different. And in 2017, Omar Samra made a post on Instagram introducing Noor as his partner on his next big adventure. He wrote, Our personalities can be more different, yet we complement each other very well. Together, I believe we make for a formidable team. 
hashtag team O2, hashtag it has begun, hashtag I hope we don't kill each other. <laughs> Some people say that it's hard work to row an ocean. I think it's really relaxing. <laughs> When you have Spider-Man as your team, <laughs> awesome. Now, Amos Sumner could have asked anyone with the required physical and mental capability to row across the Atlantic with him. So when we sat down together, I just had to ask, of all people, why did he ask Omar Noor? Why did you choose him as an extrovert? Why not choose someone who maybe is in a similar character profile to you? I knew that I didn't want to pick someone with the same character profile as me. I could have probably went for somebody who's less extroverted than Omar, potentially, like, but still an extrovert, but definitely had to be someone who's more extroverted to, to balance me out. But I would be lying if I didn't think that there was parts of me that were wondering, like, what on earth would I do on the row if this guy doesn't stop talking at all or how this is going to play out under duress or like under an extended period of time when we have no one but our, but each other. And the concern was mutual. Whoa, like he doesn't talk. Holy, like, am I going to be talking to myself the entire time? This is fairly serious, right? Like um, definitely the way we approach challenges, the way we approach uh, how to deal with an emergency is like polar opposites. And yet, opposites attracted. To better understand why this happened, I did what any person looking for a successful partnership would do. I googled it. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, okay. Why do opposites attract? Okay. First link here from... <laughs> website that shall remain unnamed do opposites attract in relationships sure and uh we've heard it again and again but is there real psychology behind the popular phrase opposites attract in relationships sure 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 okay why do we initially attract our opposite opposites may attract at first because the other person seems new and exciting maybe the object of your attention is a medal winning professional snowboarder and you are an accountant oh gosh okay <laughs> Okay, so that wasn't necessarily scientific or helpful for that matter, but I did find someone with the right credentials who can explain the secrets to the Omar's partnership, Dr. Paul Forbes. I'm a researcher at um, Heinrich Heine University in Düsseldorf. I study how stress affects um, our decisions and also our behavior towards others. And I study this from a cognitive neuroscience perspective. So that basically means that we try and understand the biological processes which um, underlie changes in behaviour under stress. Most people know the idea of homeostasis from their sort of like biology lessons at school. So the idea of homeostasis is that like the classic example is the regulation of body temperature. So if, if you get too warm, then um, your body detects that and it goes about bringing about changes to basically reduce your body temperature. So to sweat, for example, if it's too hot, cools you down. And this idea has also been adapted to try and explain how humans 
go about their social environments. So the idea is that we have a level of social interaction which we crave. And with the two Omars, maybe they both adjusted their set points. So it's not like body temperature where there's a fixed level that most humans, <laughs> humans need to be at. Obviously, it's a bit more changeable, um, the social homeostasis set point. And perhaps the two Omars basically adjusted that set point as to try and come more into balance with, with one another. And do you think physical proximity plays a role in that? Yeah, we can talk about this idea of self-other distinction. So um, the extent to which you can separate your own representation of the world from other people's. So again, this is something which develops in in childhood. So children of about four or five kind of don't have this this idea that other people can have different representations of the world compared to their own. And so perhaps this prolonged physical proximity resulted in a bit of blurring of this self-other distinction. So um, so their own and, and someone else's representation of the world became much more synced up. So theoretically, Omar Samra was onto something when he chose Omar Noor to be his partner on this journey. He was looking for social homeostasis or social balance. I wondered, however, if the Omars felt that blurring of their own self-other identification given how close they were at the time. I think extrovert and introvert is a spectrum, but me as somebody who's predominantly an extrovert, the, the, the smaller the group, the quieter I get. And Omar, the smaller the group, the more he talks. I tend to uh, favor situations where there's less people and the one-on-one situations are my strength. Like if, you know, if the, it's easy for me to bond with a person on a one-to-one basis, to go deep, to get to know the person really well. And so... That was an ideal situation for me because I was one-on-one for a prolonged period of time with somebody that I already at that point knew extremely well and, and had a lot of love for. So so the people who know me, who have the opportunity to see me in that light, you wouldn't be able to tell whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. Interestingly, the Omars went back to their default modes after their life-threatening capsize about eight days into the journey. When we capsized... Omar had just finished a two-hour shift. I mean, he was suffering, right? He was he just finished getting dumped under the boat and back up on the other side. He's hanging on, and he is dead quiet, and he's clearly struggling, right? And me being the over-communicative person, I'm over-communicating, and he's, and he's not responding, and, 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 I, and I was pretty direct with him. Like, this is not a time to be, to do are you? <laughs> and I think that's what I said. Like, like I need you to, to talk, right? And he's like, look, I'm suffering. I can't talk right now. I'm just trying to pull myself together. So that that's really interesting. So that would kind of fit with this idea that when the stressor then comes, then we resort back to our default our default mode, whatever's easiest to us, however we've learned before. And it also maybe speaks to the fact that they were trying quite hard to calibrate their social behavior um, to the other person because when then the cognitive resources are limited and your your prefrontal cortex basically um, shows reduced activation, there's an area of the brain which is involved in control. When that's then compromised, then we see this default behavior. So the introverts being more introvert and the extroverts being more extroverted. So that definitely definitely fits with some theories that we have about stress. So if our behavior towards others can change so easily depending on the situation, how can we build that sense of predictability and control and even trust? 
there's the one theory which may be of interest here is that it's called the dialectic misattunement hypothesis. So it sounds very complicated, but it's basically the idea that the relationship quality and durations are best predicted by how similar our interactions are with other people. And they've done studies where you give people a questionnaire which measures sort of social behavior and social communication styles. Um, and what they find is that people who score most similarly on these questionnaires actually have the longer friendships and the longer quality relationships. So I think what's important here is that there's not one style or one type of communication which is, which is let's say, best. But what's important is that these two communication styles are basically attuned to one another. Turns out, the armors worked on their attunement prior to even getting on the boat. Introducing the what-if game. You probably heard the Armas talk about this game a few times over the course of the series and even the film Beyond the Raging Sea, but let me give you a quick summary. In this game, the Armas would create these hypothetical scenarios that could happen during their journey before they even got on the boat. With each scenario, the Armas had to talk through their collective response to make sure that they had a plan for every situation that they could think of and that they could possibly find themselves in. So I decided to play the what-if game with the Omars and see how they would respond to a situation that actually happened on their journey. What if one Omar went into a full body cramp and couldn't move at all while the life raft was slowly deflating? What I would do in that situation is that I would need to, you know, ask you what's going on to understand like what it is that you're like feeling and, and uh, how bad is it? I will go through our food, I will go through our drinks to understand like what we have and if we can give you more than what we rationed in order to try to get you out of this situation to try to make it make you again useful. And you need to tell me honestly whether can you participate in what's unfolding right now in the next like few minutes or the next few hours so that I can understand how much more is required of me. And in the meantime, while we do that, we'll have to figure out what's going on with the raft. You know, doesn't matter if you stop cramping if we're under the sea. So let's let, let me try to figure out what's going on in the raft while you try to look, do a self-assessment, right? And talk to me about it. I need you to talk to me about it so I know what's going on. And then I will figure out the raft situation and keep communicating back to you in case you have ideas that I may not have, right? Like you may come up with something like amazing that I just don't know about, okay? So I'm going to take care of that. You take care of you, we talk about it, and we and we fix it one at a time. We lived that same experience in the ocean when both of us were in their life raft. And had Omar not known how I operate in, in these kind of situations, and I, had I not known that he needed, you know, someone to keep talking back at him, to give positive reinforcement, to do all of these things, we wouldn't have been able to see it through. So it's really important to to have all of these, as many live examples as possible and, and, and things that you go through that you can use as anchor points after that to get through whatever it is that the project and, and the situation is going to throw at you. Of course, beyond learning how to coexist, communicate, and trust each other, the Armors had to learn what I would argue is the most difficult part of any partnership. Empathy. Part of me is curious, how do you balance empathy and care for your partner with your own sense of self-preservation in that moment? Sort of an, on an analytical common sense level, there is far 
less chances of survival if one of us perishes than if we two are, you know, at it solving this thing. The first thought that I had when we capsized and Omar was stuck in the cabin was like, what what happened of Omar? Did he get hit? Like his head get hit really badly and is he unconscious? Is he going to be able to get out of this thing? I, I do think it adds an extra aspect, an extra level, right, of care when you know somebody. And you got to keep in mind, like, the way that this relationship was forged was forged very quickly. We were acquaintances. We were buddies, okay, up until we decided to sign on to this thing. And then and then it was fast track from buddies to, you know, the closest relationship you can possibly have with somebody, right? Like almost dying together and having to rely on each other. And, and, and there's certain things you simply cannot explain. My relationship with Omar and how close we were and how close we had become, having gone through all of these life experiences together, contributed to the empathy. When you know someone, when you know his family, when you know his partner, when you know, when you know so many people that will be affected if this person dies, and when you understand how you're going to be affected if you lose that person, yeah, of course it pushes you much harder to, to do things. So um, we have this idea of oxytocin and the endogenous opioid system. And um, these two um, these two systems could basically be involved in promoting social behaviour and um, following stress. And they can also boost the stress in reducing effects of social support. There's a classic study where they basically stress people in the lab they basically put people through a tough job interview so they have to give this job interview in front of a in front of a panel and the panel are all in lab coats and aren't really giving you any positive feedback and they get you to do some difficult math tasks as well and then they give them the chance to have social support so they give them a friend to talk to and what happens is that if you then administer oxytocin with this social support what we find is that this oxytocin boosts the stress reducing effects of this social support and you see you see the similar effects with pain as well. So if you put people in pain and you give them social support, it can also reduce the pain that they're feeling. And I think in turn, then helping other people when you're stressed can actually then also downregulate your own stress. So it basically reduces your negative emotions that you're experiencing because you've been kind to somebody else. And so in terms of the Omars, perhaps they also showed increased pro-social behaviour towards each other. I guess the slight caveat there being, and maybe it's actually quite evolutionary said it's quite a realistic situation because it was about life or death so it wasn't just the fact that they had to be pro-social to be nice but it maybe also was in their interest to be pro-social because it was going to get them through this this experience so i think it's definitely the case that we can be more pro-social under stress not always um, and when exactly we're pro-social and when exactly we're anti-social is an area of research um, which is ongoing and there's not really been a clear picture which has emerged. But I think what's important to emphasise is that, that there are these mechanisms, biological and psychological mechanisms in place, which can promote this um, pro-social responding in stressful situations. As I listen to the Omars reflect on their friendship and partnership, I was reminded of this really cliche and overused quote by the Dalai Lama. We humans are social beings. Now bear with me. I never really believed in that generalization, but I think I believe in it 
a little bit more now. Take, for example, a situation in which you do not have any social connection. This film Castaway with with Tom Hanks, where in the film he's basically stranded on this on this island and he doesn't have any social interaction, and then he basically creates this this friend Wilson out of a volleyball, and I think that's a really nice example where.、Um, People try and form connections, even with inanimate objects like a volleyball, when they don't have this the social connection. I took this epiphany to the Omars and asked them, "If we humans are social beings, then what does a successful partnership look like?" For Amar Nur, the successful partnership is over communicating, over sharing, talking through things, really being like. Very open about everything, right? However, through this experience, things changed because that is not how Omar operates, right? Omar is not an overcommunicator. Omar is not interested in in filling space, for example. So what that taught me that taught me that a good partnership is not just finding somebody that. Works in the same manner as you do, because there is no such thing as a hundred percent sync. There's no such thing. So, the skill of having a good partnership is being able to see the point of view of the other person and understand how they function. It's also having a relationship where there is a sense of respect to what each person brings to the table. Uh, that you complement each other in that way, that、um, you know, that, that because of that relationship, you will become a better person, and、um, and that comes through, you know, the other person feeling comfortable enough to challenge you, and to tell you things sometimes you don't want to hear.、Um, I think if you're able to achieve those things, then you have like a relationship that can really stand the test of time, and potentially、uh, a capsize in the ocean. Next week on the last episode of State of Mind, it was a conversation with something bigger than myself, saying, "No, no, no, not like this. I don't want to die like this. This is not the way I pictured it. Not like this." This episode was produced by Ahmad Ashour and edited by Dina Sabri. Research and fact-checking by Dina Sabri, with additional support from Imane Sharif. Sound design by Munzer Al Hashem, and I'm your host, Lubna Munib. State of Mind is a production of Kerne Cultures Network. Subscribe to the show if you haven't already, and before you leave the app, please leave us a review. It makes our show more discoverable, and we read every single one. Promise. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.